Well, good morning, church. If you would be so kind, take your Bibles and open to Luke chapter 11, where we'll find today's text. And while you're turning, I, I do want to share uh, something that was encouraging to me. So, as Dave has already told you, the topic this morning is prayer. And so this morning, I was up early, and I was going through my sermon with my stopwatch on my iPhone on to see how long uh, the sermon actually was. And as I was reading it out aloud... And again, the topic is prayer. Both dogs lay down, put their heads down, and closed their eyes. And I took that as an encouraging sign that I was affecting them. They were in this posture of prayer right there. I'm just kidding. So, are you there? Luke 11. We're going to be reading the first 13 verses. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are in bed with me. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, Although he will not give, get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will arise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Join me in prayer, if you would, please. Father, even as we bow our heads in an attitude of prayer, we're acknowledging our belief that you, Father, have given us a unique privilege, a wonderful, marvelous gift, special among all creation, the amazing gift of prayer. When you created man in your image and your likeness, you put in him deep, a desire to communicate with you, 
his maker. That's who we are. We were designed to pray. And we are creatures who do talk to our creator. Whether redeemed through faith in Christ or dead in our trespasses and sins, we speak to you. In this even fallen world, the words that we speak to you take the form all too often of grumbling, complaining, rage. Some speak to curse you, to mock you, or to use your name in vain. By grace, some speak to you with humble praise, with hearts full of love and worship. Father, whether to praise you or to curse you, whether in truth or in error, whether to draw near to you or to push you away, every child of Adam addresses you. In one moment, we lift our voices, glorifying you at the birth of your son. Then in another, we cry out in rage, crucify him. Lest our pride tempt us to say, we are not such people. We just sing praises to you. But before this day ends, someone here in this room may become angry. Someone may lust. Someone may envy. Someone may covet. Someone may be disobedient. Someone may lie. Someone may be slothful. Someone may devote affection to an idol. Someone may gossip. Someone may grumble. Some may love the things of this world more than they love you. And my name, Father, may well be attached to one or more of these sins before I sleep tonight. And when I sin, whether today or tomorrow, whether once or many times, I join the chorus crying, crucify him. For it was our sins that put Jesus on that cross. May we feel the weight of our condition, our helplessness apart from you, and never grow weary of calling out to you for mercy, grace, and salvation. Father, your mercies are new every morning, so please pour out your mercy on us this morning. Forgive us of our many sins. Wash us afresh with the blood of your Son. Make us clean so that we can attend to your word now. Father, cause us to hear your voice this morning in the reading and preaching of your word. Instruct us that we may walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus. I pray particularly that we would listen carefully and attentively to your son's words over these next three weeks. Teach us to pray just as he taught his disciples to pray 2,000 years ago. Drill your son's teaching deep in our hearts so that our words bless you and magnify Christ. Align our hearts and minds with yours through your word by the power of your spirit to the glory of God our Father in the name of Jesus Christ, his son. Amen. So you may be asking this morning, where is my wife? Well, my wife and most of my family are down on St. George Island this morning. And I, um, as I've done a few times in the past, uh, stayed behind, in part because 
there are uh, duties and obligations here. But the real truth is I don't like the beach very much. And when I saw them packing up jet skis and coolers and guitars and fishing gear and so much that one of the cars was carrying a trailer behind it, I thought, that does not look like rest. So I expect next weekend to see them come back tired and bedraggled and grumpy when the alarm goes off on Monday morning after their vacation. And also, I want to address a question that maybe some of you had a few weeks ago when we were sitting in our normal places. Kim suddenly got up, and she moved away from me and sat right there. And some of you may have been wondering, what just happened? What did Tom do? Well, I was wondering that too, actually, when she did that. And so I have to admit that the first 10 minutes of Matt's sermon probably were lost to me because I was pondering that question. It was like, do I need to get up and go over to her? And, but the answer was simple. There was a music stand right here. And Matt was preaching. And that music stand was blocking his face. And Matt is handsome. So you can imagine my wife thought, like, I paid full price for this ticket. <laughs> so she moved, and that's what was going on that morning. So if you have other questions about my, my wife and why she would still be married to me after 41 years, uh, you're welcome to come and ask me. I'll tell you some kind of story. And in case you're wondering... It was 42 minutes on my, what? That means nothing this morning, just so you know. That means nothing. So, as Dave said, I do want to say a few things about the series that we are, we are launching this morning. So, as we continue our study in the Gospel Luke, I'm pleased and excited to tell you that you will hear from each member of the preach team over the next eight weeks. All eight sermons, each preached by a different team member, will be rooted in the passage I read just a moment ago. So when we're assigned a passage and a date to preach, we're also assigned a Saturday morning on which we present our sermon plan to the rest of the team. So when our alarms go off early on Saturday morning, we all joyfully leap out of our beds and assemble here at 7 a.m., Okay, maybe not joyfully, but we do manage to get ourselves here mostly on time. And while the morning may start off with a groan, our hours together end up being some of the most fruitful of the week as we interact with Scripture and God stirs our minds and our hearts through His Word. Having set through five of the eight presentations on these 13 verses, I am truly excited for us all. The discussions we've already had are sure to become powerful sermons which will challenge our hearts and minds about prayer. 
So I'm confident that Jesus will do for us today exactly what he did for the disciple who asked, Lord, teach us to pray. I believe if we ask Jesus to teach us to pray today, he will not only hear our request, but he will joyfully grant our request. When I presented my material for this sermon back in July, the consensus of the team was that I should focus on the question, why should we pray? So over the following weeks, I considered many approaches to that task. I was in Genesis. I was reading all kinds of stuff. I was all over the place, and it was a hugely formidable task. Too big for me, certainly, to fully answer the question, why should we pray? But in the end, the Lord directed my thoughts back to the Gospel of Luke. Could I find the answer to why we ought to pray in the book we were already studying? When that question formed in my, in my mind, I could not ignore it. And so that became my sermon today. My intent is to take us through passages in the Gospel of Luke that involve prayer. Now, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines prayer as follows. Prayer, it's a noun. A solemn request for help or expression of thanks addressed to God. A solemn request for help or expression of thanks expressed to God. Now, Merriam-Webster is not the definitive source of biblical uh, definitions. But I do think that this is a sufficient definition for our purposes today. So whether a passage contains a request, a petition, a supplication, a praise, or thanksgiving, I am considering it applicable to my mission this morning. So a lot of what you're going to hear today is straight out of the book of Luke. And I will be revisiting passages we've already studied I will also talk about some passages we haven't heard preached yet. I don't think my reading of future passages prematurely is going to harm us in any way. However, if you haven't read to the end of Luke's gospel, I have a spoiler alert. Don't be dismayed, but the main character dies. However, there's an epilogue to the death that I would highly recommend you reading. And I also understand that the main character makes a future dramatic return in an upcoming sequel. So let's return to the first chapter of Luke. I'll be moving progressively through Luke, and I invite you to follow along as you read and listen, listen for references to prayer or supplication or things and these passages. I'll be reading from the ESV version uh, this morning, and we're going to start in Luke 1, 8 through 13. And this is the birth of John being foretold to his father, Zechariah. 
Now, while he, Zechariah, was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. So Elizabeth becomes pregnant, and in the gospel, following that, Mary becomes pregnant with our Lord, and the pregnant Mary greets her pregnant cousin Elizabeth in Luke 1, 39 through 55. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessing is she, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from the thrones, their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Then we have Zechariah after the birth of his son John in Luke 1, 62 and 64. And they made signs to his father, that is Zechariah, because he had uh, become mute uh, after his encounter with the angel. Um, because he questioned the message of the angel, inquiring what he wanted him to be called, him being John. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed. And what's the first thing he did? He blessed God. And following that, there was a prophetic prayer by Zechariah in Luke 1, through 79. 
And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets from old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. At the birth of Jesus, Luke 2, 13 and 14, and suddenly there was an angel with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And in Luke 2.20, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. When Jesus, as an infant, was taken to the temple by his parents, according to custom, in Luke 2, 25-32, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he, Simeon, took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And in the temple that day was another prophet, Anna. And there was a prophetess in Luke 2, 36 to 38. Her name was Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. Then when John baptized Jesus in Luke 3, 21 and 22, now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You 
are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Jesus heals a leper in Luke 5, 12 and 13. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. In Luke 6, 12 through 13, Jesus prays before calling his disciples. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. Story that you're probably all familiar with when they are on the sea in the boat in the evening in Luke 8, 22 through 24. One day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased. And there was calm. When Jesus fed the 5,000 in Luke 9, 16 and 17, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up into heaven, and he said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. At the Transfiguration in Luke 9, 28. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. The 72 are sent out in Luke 10, verses 1 and 2. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. We hear a prayer of rejoicing by Jesus in Luke 10, 21 and 22. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then Luke 11.1, 1, which is my sermon text this morning, 
Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And for reference, if you, not saying you should turn back, but in, in Luke 5.30, some Pharisees came basically confronting um, the disciples and um, saying, why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and sinners? But it was Jesus who answered and said to them, it's not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And they said to him, the disciples of John often fast and offer prayers. Did you catch that? The disciples of John often fast and offer prayers. The disciples of the Pharisees also do the same, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, you cannot take the attendance of the bridegroom. You cannot make the attendance of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them, can you? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. Then they will fast in those days. Jesus instruct um, his disciples to ask in prayer in Luke 11, 9 through 10. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. In Luke 13, 10 through 13, there's a woman who glorifies God. Now, he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. Jesus heals ten lepers in Luke 17, 11 through 19. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered the village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. When Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. In Luke 18, 1 through 8, there's the persistent widow. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. 
Let me repeat that. And Jesus told them a parable to the effect they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will God not give justice to his elect, who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Luke 18, 10 through 14, we have two examples of prayer here. One is negative and one is positive. Listen closely and see if you can figure out which is which. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Luke 18, 35-43, we have the blind beggar. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. In Luke 19, 37 through 40, we have Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. 
saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus answered, I tell you, if these disciples were silent, the very stones would cry out. Luke 19, 45 and 46, Jesus is in the temple. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. In Luke 21, 34 through 36, Jesus warns of the coming destruction of Jerusalem. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighted down with, the, with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. In Luke twenty-two fourteen through 20, we have the Last Supper, and I'm going to save that until communion. In Luke 22, 31, 34, Jesus foretells Peter's denial. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. The evening before Jesus' arrest, the night before the crucifixion, he's in the Mount of, on the Mount of Olives in the garden, in Luke 22, 39 through uh, 46. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you're willing... Remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood following, falling down to the ground. And when he arose from prayer... He came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. In Luke 23, 33 and 34, Jesus is on the cross. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there 
they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And then in 39 through 43 of chapter 23, one of the criminals who was hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And 23, 44 through 46. It was now about the sixth hour. And there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. I warned you that the main character dies. On the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, 28 through 31, there are some men traveling, and so they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he, Jesus, acted as he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So... He went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. Then in Luke 24, 44 through 53, we have the ascension of Christ into heaven. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name, to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, blessing God. 
So, what do you think? Has this little journey through Luke provided an answer to our question, why should we pray? Well, here's a breakdown of what the text seems to reveal to us. When we desire what only God can provide, pray. When our souls yearn to magnify God, pray. When our spirit rejoices in our Savior, pray. When we see God's mercy poured out, pray. When God lifts his hand of discipline from us, pray. When God visits his people, pray. When we want God to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, pray. When we see God faithfully fulfilling his promises, pray. When we see what God has done for us, pray. When God finally answers your lifetime prayer, pray with thanksgiving. When God is faithful, pray. When we are alone in this world, pray. When we await God's redemption, pray. When we are hopelessly ill, pray. When we think we are perishing, pray. When God frees us from oppression, pray. When God heals many and we are alone or thankful, pray. To keep from losing heart, pray. When we feel the weight and guilt of sin, pray. When we are blind and God gives us sight, pray. When Jesus arrives at your city, pray. When we are in God's house, pray. When our faith is failing, pray. When our health is failing, pray. When temptation threatens us, pray. When suffering awaits us, pray. When our circumstances are bleak and our only consolation is perhaps God's will will be done, pray. When our soul is in agony, pray. When others act sinfully against us, pray. When all hope is gone and only death awaits us, pray. And when death embraces our broken bodies, pray. And when we think of our risen Savior, pray. So should we pray? I'm convinced that the Gospel of Luke compels us to answer yes. The disciple who asked Jesus to teach them how to pray was very wise that day. May God grant that our desire here at CBC as 21st century disciples of Jesus be the same as that first century disciple. Lord, teach us to pray. Over the next seven sermons, I pray that God will ignite in our hearts, individually and collectively as a church, a passion to become disciples who pray, who will make CBC a house of prayer. And I pray that as we begin to consider prayer and the Lord moves us in light of his word. 
that he will respond to those prayers and that we as a congregation will have the high privilege of seeing God's mighty hand at work doing in this dark, dying, fallen world what only he can do. So may God bless us. May he instruct our hearts. May he give us courage where we lack courage. May he give us faith where our faith is weak. Where we're lost, may he give us redemption and salvation. And at the end of all things, may we together as a church live to see the day when we behold Christ face to face and are with him forever. So I told you that there was a verse that I was going to reserve, a passage rather, that I was going to reserve, and it's familiar to us, but perhaps in light of our reading through the Gospel of Luke today, maybe we'll hear it with slightly different ears. And this is our Lord on the night before he would horribly die. Now, I can get up tight the night before I'm scheduled to stand up here and preach. And you guys are not my enemies. Uh, you're friendly. I cannot imagine what our Lord must have been going through that evening knowing with certainty that he would suffer the next day and that he would suffer cruelly. It is no wonder that in the garden that he asked that the Father, if it were possible, would allow him not to take that bitter cup. In Luke 24, 14 through 20. <clears throat> and when the hour came, Jesus reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you that I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. <clears throat> 